Good morning. We are looking at Proverbs chapter 7 today. Before we get started, let's, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I come to you this morning and I ask you to uh, guide and direct everything that is said today, Lord. I pray that uh, through your word, uh, hearts will be blessed, that we will be challenged. And I pray most of all, Lord, that you will be glorified in everything that we say here today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at Proverbs. And in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, Solomon is instructing his sons on the importance of wise living. And this instruction is designed to train them to be men who lead in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And although the the teaching is primarily directed at his sons, the principles apply to all of us, uh, and they're profitable for everyone that is here today. Uh, So we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 7. The first three verses, we're going to be looking at uh, the idea of treasuring God's commandments. Uh, This chapter... It begins in much the same way as chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5 begin. Um, Solomon here is probably an older man, and he's telling his sons to be attentive to his words and his commandments. Um, these are imperative statements, uh, and he's, he's expressing them to his children, I think with the intentions of of getting to them to, to not make the same mistakes that he made as a young man. In verse 1 it says, My son, keep my words, and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Now, this instruction was not, it's not original with Solomon. Um, The words and the commandments that he has given um, are not his words. They come from God's law. Uh, And as a king, Solomon was required to know God's law. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 and 19, it says, And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. So men, as the ones that God has commanded to lead our families, we need to recognize that we have a responsibility to know and to keep God's commandments. Now, in the first three verses, Solomon is instructing his sons to treasure and obey the principles found in God's law. And here again, he's repeating the instructions given in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, basically, it says, Now, this is the commandment the statutes and the rules that the, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you 
that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and all and that your days may be long. And then in verse 4 he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall walk and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and you, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and, you shall, and they shall be frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So again, fathers, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we are instructed to teach our children to fear the Lord by keeping all his statutes and commandments and by loving him above everything else. Um, As you've seen in these verses, the the idea of the fear of the Lord is uh, a predominant theme. It's interesting, in the Bible, the, the expression, the fear of the Lord or fear of the Lord, is found 61 times. And in Solomon's writing of Proverbs, it is found 16 times. So as we think about the fear of the Lord, there are two aspects to this. For the unbeliever, the fear of the Lord is a fear of judgment. It's eternal separation from God in hell. According to Luke chapter 12, verse 5, Jesus says, But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The other aspect for the believer is quite a different story. The believer's fear is a reverence and awe of God because of the great love with which he has shown us by giving his son to pay the penalty for our sins. This fear, this reverence, this awe should motivate us to trust and to love the Lord and to show our love to him by obeying his commandments. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, it says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. As we look at Proverbs, we see that the fear of the Lord is, found, is a foundation. It's the foundation that knowledge, wisdom, and insight is built upon. Uh, and it is also the fountain of life. In Proverbs 1.7, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then in verse nine, in chapter nine, verse ten, he says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight." 
And in chapter 14, verse 27, he says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So as believers, our reverence and our awe of God leads us to love him. And that love is evidenced by our obedience to him. In John chapter 14, Jesus is telling us that those who love him will show it by keeping his commandments. John 14 verse 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And verse 21 says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So again, fathers, we are to teach our children to be in awe of the Lord and to love him by learning and obeying his commandments. And the best way for us to do that is to teach them by example. Our children are going to pick up what we do a lot better than what we say. So if you want your child to be Christ-like, then act like Christ before them. As we move on to into the chapter in verses 4 and 5, we look at wisdom. Verse 4 says, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words. Now here Solomon is emphasizing the importance of wisdom and he is uh, continuing his instruction that he started in Proverbs chapter 2 where he tells his sons to call out to wisdom, to listen to her, to seek her as if you were searching for treasures. Proverbs chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So unless we understand the concept of the fear of the Lord, we're going to have a really hard time understanding wisdom. In verse 5, as we just read of chapter 7, Solomon tells his sons that one of the many benefits to wisdom is that it will protect them from the forbidden woman. And so starting in verse 6, Solomon's telling his sons, about what he has observed uh, when a simple man encounters a forbidden woman. Uh, I'm speculating here, but I think that Solomon is probably speaking from some experiences in his past. Uh, when you read Ecclesiastes, you kind of get this idea. But in verses 6 through 9, he starts this story and he introduces us to a naive 
person, a naive prey. So we observe this young man. He says, For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. So he's telling a story, and in verse 7, he describes the man in this story as simple, a youth, and lacking sense. The idea is this man is immature, he's naive, he lacks the ability to critically analyze the situation. He doesn't have the experience or the insight to see the dangers that are ahead. Basically what he's saying is this man lacks wisdom. Again in Proverbs chapter 14 verse 15 it says, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. This, this principle is repeated again in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, where it says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple goes on and suffers for it. Uh, we see also in these verses that this young man chooses to take the road that leads to her house. So he's not making wise decisions. Uh, the simpleton is, is basically following his heart, his feelings, his lust. He's seeking to satisfy his own desires instead of obeying the commandments of the Lord. This self-seeking attitude is something, though, that we all must battle. In Genesis 8, verse 21, we, it says that the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. And in Jeremiah 17.9, it says, The heart of the, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So this simpleton is making decisions, and these decisions will soon lead to disaster. Now in verses 10 through 20, we're going to see the second person in this story. We're going to observe the crafty predator. These verses speak of a forbidden woman. And this forbidden woman is cunning, and she's skilled. She's not an innocent victim, but she's rather a predator. She's a skilled hunter. I want us to look at these verses and, and see how she's described and see her techniques. In verse 10 it says, Behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute. Wily of heart. So the first thing we see is how she's dressed. It says she's dressed like a prostitute. Uh, the idea here is she's dressed in a way that is designed to draw attention to herself. And I look at this as the first piece of bait in her trap that she's using to draw the simple to her. It also says she is wily of heart. 
The idea here is that she's deceptive and manipulative, careful to present herself in a way that will invite the simple end while concealing the things that might scare him away. Verse 11 says she is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. The idea here, I think, is that she is bolsterous um, and she's rebellious. She doesn't choose to follow the commandments of the Lord. Now, we have this description of this forbidden woman. And I'd like for us to take a moment to stop and look at and contrast her with, with what the Bible says is a godly woman. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Likewise also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or a costly attire. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, the description goes on, and in verse 3 he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So when we look at these two sections of scripture, the verses in the New Testament tell us that a godly woman dresses modestly, not like the prostitute who dresses in a way to put herself on display. And we also see that a godly woman is, has a gentle and quiet spirit instead of being loud and rebellious. Verse 12 goes on and says, Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. Again, like a skilled hunter, this woman is out looking for her prey. She goes to where the simple gather and searches for her victims. In verses 13 through 15, it says, She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. So she's looking for her victim. And it says, she seizes him and kisses him. Once she she spotted him, she advances to him. She embraces him, she kisses him. Basically, she's initiating intimate physical contact. And with a shameless, brazenly immodest attitude, she tells him that she has offered sacrifices to pay her religious vows And now she's come out to seek his companionship. Basically, she's she's saying to the young man, and she's appealing to the young man, to his ego. Uh, She's flattering him, and she's making him feel very special. Um, Again, this is a piece of bait that she is using to lure her victim into her trap. 
verses 18, 16 through 18, it goes on and says, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linen from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves in love. Here she again is continuing to draw her victim into her trap by telling him that she has prepared everything for his pleasure. Um, Then she reveals the final piece of bait to capture her victim, a night of sensual pleasure. Verse 19 through 20, she says, For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. Um, I think these words are intended to ensure this young man that they're not going to be caught. No one's going to know about what's going on. There's no one home. Uh, We can do this and get away with it. But be aware that the Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, it says, Be sure your sins will find you out. And in Jeremiah 23, 24, it says, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? There's nothing we can do. There's no place we can go where we can hide from the Lord. Um, What we do in secret, what we do in the dark, he knows about. In verse 21 through 23, we go on and we observe the kill. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, and as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Verse 21 says, With much seductive speech she persuades him. In this verse, It appears that this young man has some reservations about following her. I suspect that, you know, whenever she said that her husband was gone, uh, that probably raised some red flags. I would hope that it would. But this woman promises sensual pleasure, and she seduces him. Um, Though at first he had some reservations and reluctance, her words, which were smoother than oil, found their way into his heart. Appealing to his own lustful desires, she prevailed on him to yield to her request. He no longer tried to resist her, but he surrendered to her charming voice and her flattering lips. Verse 22 says, all at once he followed her. So with his will to resist her enticement gone, the young man willingly follows her as she leads him into her trap. The verses 23 basically tell us that the consequences of following her is pictured as an ox that is being led, not knowing that it's being led to its death. 
In Romans 6, 23, we know God tells us that the wages of sin is death. As Solomon finishes this story, this instruction to his sons, he again says, And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to show, going down to the chambers of death. Solomon ends this chapter basically as he had started it, telling his son to listen to his commandments and his warnings, especially as it regards the forbidden woman. Now, as we think about this chapter, Solomon's central point is that a wise individual avoids the path of sensual sin. This central point was important to his sons, but it's also important to us because all of us are prone to sin in our thoughts as well as in our actions. So we ask the question, how do we avoid the paths of sensual sin? But before we answer that question, we must recognize that we, in our own strength, cannot fight sin, including sensual sin, uh, without help. Because the battle is more spiritual than it is physical. If you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, then by default, you are a follower of the devil. And you are a slave to sin. And you are controlled by sin. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you to stop fighting against the Lord. Turn from your self-centered, self-willed rebellion and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, who alone can give you a heart to follow him, to resist sin, to overcome sin in your life, and to fight the devil. If you are a follower of Jesus, then recognize that you have been set free from the bondage of sin and that you have been given the Holy Spirit to live within you to help you battle against sin. Diligently seek the Lord's help every day as you battle. So, with that said, what are some of the steps that we can do as a believer to avoid sensual sin? The first thing is to guard your heart and mind. Do not read books, do not look at pictures, do not go to websites, or encourage fantasies that stimulate the wrong desires. Our natural man is prone to sin. He does not need to be encouraged in that direction. In Mark chapter 7, 
In verse 20 through 23, Jesus says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. So don't fill your mind with perversion. Instead, fill your mind with things that are pleasing to the Lord. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, we are told, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. And David, who had some experience in this area, tells us in Psalms 119, verses 9 through 11, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we need to guard our minds and we need to do that by saturating our heart and our mind with God's word. The second thing we need to do is to keep away from settings and friends that tempt us to sin. If you know that there are certain places or people who are bad influences, stay away from them. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, it says, Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. And then in the New Testament, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says, Be not deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. So we need to guard our hearts. We need to keep away from settings and friends that tempt us to sin. And then we, we do not need to think only on the moment. We need to focus on the future. Today's thrills may often lead to tomorrow's ruin. Every decision we make has a consequence, and we need to think about that. In Genesis 6, verses 7 and 8, Paul tells us, Be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, 
but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So think about what you're doing before you do it. Look to the future. Focus on the future. The fourth thing that we can do is we can check our attitude. Don't think that you are above temptation. You read about it, you hear about it in the news. So many times people that we kind of look up to, we hear about them falling into temptation. Um, And we aren't any better than they are. We need to recognize that, that we're dealing in a spiritual battle and that Satan, our enemy, would like nothing better than to see us fall into sin. In 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13, to be on guard. He says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Paul is telling us that we are going to be tempted. It's going to happen. He's also saying that God is faithful and that no matter what temptation we face, it's not going to be something that we just can't resist. With the temptation, the Lord will provide a way of escape. And we have to look for it. It's really easy for us to to say, I I couldn't help it. Okay? But we can. As believers, we have the Lord working in us, and we have the ability to escape temptation if we'll just look for it. And that leads us to the fifth way that we can avoid sensual sins. He says, when we're tempted, we need to look for the way of escape. And that way is to flee. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18, it says, Flee from sexual immorality. In the Bible, we've read in Proverbs 7 about this simple man who was ensnared by this forbidden woman. But in Genesis, we have another story. It's a record of a godly man and how he responded to the sexual advances of a forbidden woman. The godly man in the story is Joseph, and the forbidden woman is Potiphar's wife. A little background on this, Joseph was one of Israel's sons. Um, His brothers didn't like him, 
and they sold him into slavery. He was taken down to Egypt, and a man named Potiphar, who was a captain of Pharaoh's guard, bought him. And Joseph was a a man of character. He followed God, and, and Potiphar recognized that everything that Joseph did was blessed by God. And so he put him in charge of of basically his whole estate. And we also read in Genesis 39 that Joseph was a very handsome young man. Uh, And it says that Potiphar's wife looked on him and she said to him, lie with me. Understand that Joseph was, was a slave. He couldn't just leave. He couldn't just run away. He had to, he had to deal with this. Um, and in verse 9, we read, How then, he's talking to Potiphar's wife, and he says, How then can I do, she's asking him to lie with him. He says, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Verse 10 says, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Joseph recognized that what she was wanting to do was was wickedness, but more than anything else, it was a sin against God. And as much as he could, he's tried to avoid her. He, he he, He made it a point not to be alone with her, if at all possible. Verse 11 says, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and got out of the house. So when the temptation for sensual sin presents itself to you, whether you're a man or a woman, flee. Don't try to fight it. Flee. In 2 Timothy 2.22, we said the same thing. Paul tells Timothy, he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. As we look at the world around us, we see the sensuality of of this world that is basically just perverted. It's a sham. It's a self-centered, self-gratifying experience that leaves the participants empty ashamed, and devalued. When a person chooses to go down that path, that person can expect to be ensnared by the sin and to experience pain, heartache, and possibly even death as a consequence of the sin. So, 
as we close, I want to leave you with Peter's admonition, which is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout your time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. So as we leave today, I pray that the Lord will take his word, that he will apply it to our hearts, and that he will conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Thank you.